Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Red Sox hot stove edition of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We've got a big show tonight, uh, seemingly kind of out of nowhere because things have been uh, a little quiet. Uh, the Red Sox have signed Corey Kluber to a one-year deal worth $10 million. We'll get into the rest of the contract later on. There is an option for a second year as well as some incentives uh, built in. Uh, so that uh, happened today. And uh, in the last 24, 48 hours, Nathan Avaldi has gone to the Texas Rangers on a two-year, $34 million deal. That's 17 per, which is exactly what he was making with the Red Sox on his previous deal. Rich Hill goes to the Pittsburgh Pirates on a one-year deal worth $8 million. So we will be touching on all of that with me tonight. Uh, two of the regular crew, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? Doing pretty well. I'm happy to finally hear some news of Red Sox at least adding some something to their rotation. Um, not exactly what I was expecting, but uh, I guess we'll take it. I don't know. It's hard to really get all that excited about 36-year-old Corey Kluber, but it's better than nothing. So here we are. I'm not having it, but I'll, I'll get to my take later on. <laughs> um, also joining us tonight, Cody Paulson. Cody, how are you? Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you all for joining us uh, through these, I guess, slow times of the year. Maybe it's picking up a little bit on, on the hot stove. You know, we are starting to sign some players. Some some players are leaving. Some players are coming. Um, always always fun to have something to talk about. How are you doing, Terry? I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, actually. Um, I'm just, you know, as I keep hinting, I'm not in love with this Red Sox rotation uh, going into the year. Uh, I'm also going to make um, I'm going to make a prediction, which I don't typically do this early in the off season. That's how I will open my take. But um, yeah, so let's just get right into it. Uh, Jason, go ahead. Your thoughts? Yeah. So I was actually expecting it to go the other way around. I was expecting Evaldi and Hill to come back on short money deals, and for the Red Sox not to really add anything else and for them to say, yep, there we go. Rotations all rounded out. We're all good to go. Um, then the news drops that Nathan of all these signs with Texas. Um, I'm glad that Texas is willing to pay him that. I think I would have been pretty upset if the Red Sox had given him another $17 million deal, especially with incentives that can make it 21 million. Um, granted, if you read the incentives, I don't think there's any way he's going to reach them, but that's another story for another day. Um, as far as Corey Kluber goes, I know he's been on the Red Sox radar all off season is kind of one of those names that kept getting thrown out. And I just kind of kept shaking my head and rolling my eyes going, okay, yeah, sure. Red Sox have been interested in a bunch of guys this off season and they tend to lose out on all of them. Um, I was half expecting Kluber to resign with the Rays or something, you know, another guy spurning the Red Sox to go to Tampa. Um, but they got their guy. They gave him the Garrett Richards deal, the one-year, ten million. There is a player option though uh, for next or team option, excuse me, team option for next year. Um, look, Kluber is a guy who bounced back last season. You know, he made thirty-one starts. The numbers aren't going to blow you away. You know, ten and ten ERA in the mid fours. He was just kind of an average pitcher. He was just your six innings. Didn't really, you know, get blown up too many times, but wasn't exactly dominant either in any of his starts. So he's a good back end of the rotation kind of guy. The thing with Kluber has always been his health, especially in this stretch of his career. Um, you know, he's been pitching 12 years, only five of those has he made more than 30 starts. And a bunch of them came during his prime, you know, the, uh, the Cleveland years and, and even one with Texas, I think after that. So you know, lately he hasn't been doing that. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy until last season. So it's a good sign that his, you know, last year was a healthy year for him. 31 starts, you know, closing in on, on 200 innings again. I'm not expecting more than 160 innings out of him. Maybe between 160 and 180 is the best you're going to get. Um, 
But I'd be very surprised if we see Kluber make 30 starts again. I just, you know, I can't imagine a guy going into his age 36 season is going to be getting healthier and is going to be more reliable. Um, but, you know, the alternative is Nathan Evaldi, and you could make the same argument. Evaldi only made 20 starts last year, and we saw him kind of starting to break down a little bit, and health has always been a question with him too. So you kind of pick your poison there. Um, Kluber is a guy who has pitched in the AL East before, so he kind of knows what it's about. Good veteran, has pretty good stuff. Um, again, it's for one year, $10 million, I'm not, I'm not upset about it. I'll definitely take it. They needed some depth in the back end of that rotation. I'm still just kind of looking at the rotation as a whole and going, eh, that's all you got? That's what we're going to be trotting out there? Okay. I don't see it being much better than last year. So, And I think the rotation was definitely an area that they had to improve on. And I think they've kind of stayed the same, maybe even gotten worse, um, even with the Kluber signing. So as happy as I am that he's here, especially – with that kind of contract, which is very palatable compared to what Evaldi got. I'm still just kind of looking at the whole thing going, shrugging my shoulders and just saying, meh. So it's good news, but it's not blowing me away. Cody. Especially in baseball, you can look at a bunch of different numbers, right? You can create a narrative based off of kind of what you want to shape. You can look at, you know, walks for nine innings. He led the league last year with 1.2, right? Uh, but I think the biggest number when you're looking at Corey Kluber is the fact that he did make those 31 starts. How many times last year when you were watching the Red Sox was it the third inning? We were down four, five, zero already. The starter had been pulled and we knew that we were already toast, right? We're going to be taxing a bullpen that wasn't strong. Uh, the starter wasn't going to make the, uh, you know, a, a quality start. And you're like, cool, I'm in for another two hours of just misery. I don't think we're pulling in Corey Kluber to to be a workhorse, to be a stud, to make, you know, the 31 starts again, pitch 200 plus innings, uh, anchor the rotation. But he's a guy that's going to add, you know, that clubhouse value, right? That veteran presence, that postseason experience, experience against the AL East nonetheless, right? He's pitched his last two years with with the Yankees and with the Rays and he's had, you know, a sub four ERA, um, you know, roughly a 500 winning percentage. Uh, I think he went five and three with the Yankees and, and 10 and 10 with the Rays. Uh, but he's somebody that can mentor Bayo. Uh, you know, Bayo was picking up pitches from Rich Hill last year and, and putting that into, into play already. Um, so, you know, you get him on one year, 10 million. Um, and you look at Rich Hill getting that $8 million deal from the pirates. I'd much rather take a chance on, on Corey Kluber for 10 million than, than trotting, you know, a mid forties, rich Hill for the second half of a season back out there. Um, you know, this isn't necessarily a gangbusters blockbuster move. One that you, you know, print on the front page in the news saying, Hey, we got them, but you know, it is turning the tides a little bit of starting to get free agents that are potentially going elsewhere. Um, you know, we had been pursuing him for the last three years. He went to the Yankees, he went to the Rays, and then he finally, you know, we finally got him. Um, you know, in 2014, this one-two punch of sale Kluber is, is pretty dynamite. But you know, we'll we'll see what they have. And at this point in time, we just need guys that throw innings that keep us in the ball game. And that's exactly what I think Kluber can bring to this rotation. Not to mention, you know, we are going to be a younger team with with our development. I think we're going to have a lot of taxi squad players. We're going to have people coming up. You know, those four A pitchers. And I think Kluber can bring a lot of value there. You know, uh, a pitching version of JD Martinez, if you will. Um, I'm not, you know, super thrilled with the player per se. I mean, there's nothing to hate about the guy, but I don't think there's anything that overly excites you. But, you know, we didn't we didn't throw the bag at him to get him either. So I think that that kind of helps the optics of it all. All right. So I'm on the other end of the spectrum here. And I'm going to start my take by saying for the first time this winter, I am picking the 2023 Boston Red Sox to miss the playoffs. There's nothing this team can do as far as this rotation goes. We're done with the rotation, I think, with, with the Kluber edition. I, I don't think we're I don't think we're gonna do anything else unless Chris Sale does get traded. And I would put that at about 50-50. I think as I said in the last show, I think he could use a fresh start. I think he probably feels that way too. Let's go someplace where there's not a lot of pressure. 
It'll be a team that knows they're only getting him for two years. And so barring a sale trade, I don't think we're we're getting any more starters, you know, that we're going to sign. What frustrates me about the Kluber signing is it's the same exact mindset as 2021. It's the same thing. It's Corey Kluber. Uh, excuse me. It's Garrett Richards. It's Martin Perez. It's it's a scrap heap guy that that's not going to make a huge impact. When you look at this rotation next year, and I've kind of given this take a few times, but I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna beat this horse until opening day. Assume Stale stays. Assume Chris Sale remains on the roster. Hasn't pitched 25 innings in five years. James Paxton hasn't done it in four years. Garrett Whitlock has never done it in his life. Tanner Houck has never done it in his life. And we can say, yeah, yeah, Kluber's going to start 30 games possibly. You know who started 33 last year and sucked? Nick Pavetta. So we needed an upgrade. We needed an upgrade here. I don't think Corey Kluber is an upgrade over Nathan Avaldi, a, a, a relatively healthy Nathan Avaldi, who made 20 starts last year, was dinged up for a number of them, had a 387 ERA. I didn't want Avaldi. I wanted I wanted an upgrade over Avaldi. I wanted someone with better stuff who was a little bit more durable. And it's that classic case of be careful what you wish for. Because now we got Kluber. Michael Waka, too. Another guy who had who, who pitched very well last year. If you look at his baseball savant page, his numbers aren't going to jump out at you. You know, there's a lot more blue on his uh, you know, on his page than red on the sliding scales. And if it's more blue, it indicates, you know, he's not, you know, an overpowering guy in most of the, um, you know, in most of the areas. But he kept us in the games. He kept the ball in the park. And I think I think we're at a net negative compared to where we were with those two in the rotation last year. I think we're worse. I I think we are. Um I didn't even want Corey Kluber in 2021. I did, I wanted someone better. And then uh, careful what you wish for. I, we got Garrett Richards and we got Martin Perez, who neither one of them were had any significant roles in the postseason. Garrett Richards wasn't even on the roster. Martin Perez was coming out of the bullpen only when we were well behind. So um, it's just, it's frustrating. In 2023, going into this season, this was the money off the books year. This is the year all the money is off the books. You, you know, the um, the JD money is off. Uh, the David Price money, I think might have actually, no, is that off this year? Yeah, this is the first year the David Price money is off. So that's 16 million. Xander Bogarts is 20 million. Unfortunately, it's, you know, we don't have Bogarts anymore, but it's still 20 million to the to the good that Bloom could have could have really done something with. Uh, who am I forgetting? There's there's at least a couple more. We don't have Christian Vasquez. He was worth seven or eight million. Um a number of guys are just off the books. I mean, Nathan Avaldi. Nathan Avaldi, 17, off the books. You know, yep. you're looking at $100 million to play with here. This was, we were talking about this winter for a long time. Like, this was the year Bloom was going to do something. And signing Story last year made, made that seem valid. Like, okay, we've already got Story. What's the big one or two things next year? And... We're getting nothing but trash pitchers. It's just, it's so brutal. And you look at, it took Corey Kluber until almost the first of the year to get that deal. And then it was Hein Bloom. Like, I, I don't think Hein Bloom knows how to do it. I don't think he knows how to do it. And I'm, I'm frustrated. When you look at the... I don't have the page up anymore, but the list of free agents, the remaining ones wasn't good. Johnny Cueto, I think, is at the top of that list. You know, a huge risk for a guy who can't stay healthy. 
Uh, Zach Davies was on that list. It was a very underwhelming list. So what I was quietly hoping for was a trade. Just, you know, an under-the-radar trade. Um, who's that Marlins pitcher? <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, Pablo Lopez. Pablo Lopez, yeah. Yep. Some, I mean, wouldn't we take that over a Kluber-type type move? Absolutely. And, you know, <clears throat> you look at the rotation, like you mentioned, when you really spell it all out, outside of Nick Pavetta, you have to manage all these guys in their innings. James Paxton hasn't pitched in two years. And I don't care how much the Illuminati want to tell me that this guy is finally healthy and, oh, you're going to see the true James Paxton. He's two years older and he's two years away from the mound. They're going to have to manage his innings. Brian Bayo is your best pitching prospect right now. You're going to have to manage his innings unless you want to ruin him. Uh, Garrett Whitlock is going into the rotation against my wishes because I think he's better in the bullpen, but they're going to force him into the rotation. When he went in there last year, he got hurt. He hurt his back or his neck or whatever. It was a or hip. It was his hip. Yeah, yeah, it was his hip. So, you know, as soon as they put him in the rotation, he got hurt. And that was the big reason why the Yankees gave up on him and put him in the, in the Rule 5 in the first place. It's because he couldn't stay healthy. So you're going to have to manage Whitlock's innings. Chris Sale, who the heck knows? I mean, he'll probably tell the Red Sox, you don't have to manage my innings, you know, because he's Chris Sale. But he might slip on a banana peel on his way to the mound and then go on the 60-day IL. So who knows? Um, and, you know, Kluber, you don't have to manage his innings, but you're basically just riding that horse until he can't go anymore um, or until he breaks down. So it's not uh, it's not a rotation that gives you a lot of hope. And I know that the bullpen is at least a little bit better than it was last year, but I'm hoping that the the plan isn't, oh, well, we only need our starters to go five innings because our bullpen six through nine is going to be shut down. Because I don't, I wouldn't say it's that kind of bullpen just yet. You know, it's, it's better, but Kenley Jansen, are we sure he's going to be automatically great? I'm not. Chris Martin had a good year last year, but he's another guy who's, up there in years, so there might be some regression there too. It, it kind of worries me that that's what their plan is going to be, that, oh, we don't need the starters to go deep into games. Maybe Pavetta, because he can do it. If he's having a good day, let him ride. But, yeah, we can just have Bayo and Whitlock and all these guys go like four or five innings and have the bullpen do the rest. That's a little bit concerning. I, I don't think that model is going to work for this team. Cody, any more thoughts? I have to wonder at this point, like ownership's got to start taking some some heat for this. Like this can't all fall on bloom, right? Like, like you absolutely mentioned it. This was supposed to be the off season that we were going to be able to spend. We we're going to be able to do these gigantic deals. We are going to be able to be in the room with some of these Correa, Judge, Bogarts. Maybe not Bogarts because that one. I think even the market was like, wait, what are we doing here? But this is the one where we were going to be able to be the Boston Red Sox again and and throw the money around. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, we haven't even come close to sniffing an offer makes me think that Bloom is trying to run things up the flagpole and he's not, he's not getting the okay or not getting the green light. Cause I mean, he also wants to build a good team, right? I mean, like nobody wants to go down in flames and have a steaming pile of nonsense out on the field for 162 games out of the year and then have to wear that on your face and just get dragged in the media. I mean, if he is, he's... Uh, credit to him for forgetting to where he is um, and and fooling all of us. It, it can't just fall on one person, right? I mean, maybe I'm just talking myself into delirium or into circles here or wanting to believe that we've got a better plan. Cause I mean, like you said, it's, it's been largely underwhelming so far and, and there has to be something that we don't know. Like there has to be conversations or things that aren't getting agreed upon or, or contracts that we aren't being able to offer. Cause I mean, we're losing out left and right to seemingly not exorbitant deals. I, I don't know. I think. Or go ahead. Um, I think with ownership, you can certainly point to them when it comes to the trade deadline last year or last season because JD Martinez wasn't traded. Nathan Avaldi wasn't traded. They did trade Christian Vasquez, but. It, it seems like now there may have been deals on the table for those guys and ownership didn't want the PR hit. 
You know, they, they already took a PR hit from Vasquez getting traded and the team not performing well at the time, even though they were still kind of mathematically in it, the team had no heart left. I mean, they, they were dead in the water and anyone who, you know, really paid attention knew that. And I'm starting to think ownership told Bloom, you can't make these deals because we got half a season to go. We got half a season to, you know, pack the stadium and sell tickets. And oh, by the way, we just opened up that huge MGM building across the street. So, you know, we need more revenue so we can afford that place as well. So I think that ownership definitely put a kibosh on some deals that could have been made, should have been made at the trade deadline. So I think Cody's right. Like there does need to be fingers pointed at them as well, because why they didn't trade J.D. Martinez and Nathan Navaldi at the deadline is baffling when clearly they had no intention of bringing them back. Selfishly, and this is me wanting the podcast to be successful, I didn't want them to sell. I wanted them to add, and um, I, I didn't I didn't love the moves, but I didn't hate them either. Um, but I think that's exactly what did happen. I think ownership came in and said, we got to try to at least make a run at a wild card here. And... And here are the consequences. In hindsight, I was wrong. They should have. They should have absolutely blown it up. But the Red Sox, if they got under the luxury tax, and I think they were just over it, not by a lot, but they were technically over it. So what that ended up costing us was instead of the compensation picks for Bogarts and Evaldi, instead of being in the the you know, between picks 70 and 80, which would have been, what's that, uh, a little into the third round. Um, so, that, yeah, that would have been roughly the third round. Now those picks are going to be in the 130s. So you're looking at the fifth round now. Um, so that was kind of a consequence of not getting under. I think if they simply just would have traded a Voldy, I think that gets you under. I think his $17 million gets you under, and, and that's, uh, you know, that is what it is. As far as ownership here, culpability, an interesting, uh, I've got a snippet here of an article and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's from June Lee from ESPN. It's definitely from an ESPN writer uh, and I'm, I'm certain it wasn't from Passon. So that's what makes me think it was June Lee. I, I clipped this a couple weeks ago, cropped it out of the article. So that, that's why I'm not positive right now. This is interesting. And, and again, I'm pointing this out because it, you know, it weighs the culpability between ownership and Bloom. Here's what the article says, again, from ESPN. Quote, According to multiple sources, Boston's ownership group did not mandate that Bloom trade Mookie Betts to get under the luxury tax. This was 2020, just so everyone's clear. But that is what Bloom ultimately decided to do with an eye toward increasing the Red Sox options in the future. The team traded bets and price to Los Angeles for Alex Verdugo, Jeter Downs, Connor Wong, and Betts eventually signed a 12-year $360 million, excuse me, $365 million contract with the Dodgers. Here's the here's the explosive uh, caveat here. A deal he told ESPN in August that he would have accepted in Boston. So Mookie would have taken that deal in Boston. As far as I've seen in print that for myself, that the Red Sox topped out at 300. I've heard other people say it was really in the 315 to 320 range. So the fact that that extra 45 million was a kicker, that's crazy. Now, for the record, I'm glad that deal didn't happen. I, I don't think it would have aged well. Um, the, the same reason I'm, I'm glad the Bogarts deal did not happen at at 11 years. Um, but who's how much authority does Bloom have? Because according to this, and again, it was multiple sources that told this to ESPN, it looks like Bloom has more power than what people might expect. Now, before I pass it over to you guys, the one guy that could clear this all up is John Henry. And John Henry hasn't spoken in front of the media in at least a couple of years. Sam Kennedy is the mouthpiece for ownership. He's the president of whatever, which 
basically handles the the ticket sales and and marketing and all that. Um, so, but Henry doesn't want to come out here and clear it up. So, it's it's just mind boggling to me. But I this the, this is a lot of bloom here. W- one other thing, let me point this out. I've pointed it out a couple of times. This is the bloom era as far as pitching. Here's the rotation. In 2020, ranked 25th in MLB. That was the starting rotation. 25th out of 30 teams. 2021, 17th in MLB out of 30 teams. 2022. See, people rag on 2020. Well, it was 2020. We didn't even try. We blew it up. Well, in 2022, you were 23rd. You were only two slots better than you were in 2020. Here's the bullpen. Just for... uh, you know, kicks 2020 27th in MLB 2021 13th in MLB. Not bad. 2022. The bullpen was ranked 26th in MLB. Only one slot better than 2020. At some point, this has to be bloom because ownership isn't, isn't Garrett Richards and Martin Perez. They're not pushing those players on bloom. He's he, that's self-inflicted blooms doing that to himself. And, you know, and then 2020 just, I mean, you, you thought James Paxton was going to be a second half guy. You thought Chris Sale was going to pitch most of the season uh, as his timeline ended up getting pushed back to early July. Um, and then Michael Walker, pleasant surprise, but now that he was awesome, we're not interested for some reason. Um, so anyway, I, I, to me, it's mostly on bloom here. 26 seems high out of all of that for the bullpen <laughs> last year. I don't know what other teams were behind us, man. Maybe I just wasn't watching the right baseball or maybe I was, but uh, yeah, the fact that we weren't dead last is, is mind boggling. And I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, you know, I haven't been on this, on this program a long time, but I will say uh, to, to be firmly on the hot seat and to need an off season to kind of save your reputation and save your job. Um, this wasn't a great, a great list of, uh, players to do that with, right. There were very few that were actually going to reach free agency and all those that were going to reach free agency, we knew were going to command, uh, the Brinks truck. And for the most part, all of them have, um, and, you know, maybe that's that's when the ownership does get a little bit involved, right? It was when you're, you know, committing a quarter to a third of a billion dollars to one player for, you know, a decade. Maybe they're like, hey, wait a second. But I absolutely agree with what you're saying. You know, they're not forcing Richards and Perez and some of these, you know, low low deals, um, bargain bin signings, reclamation projects, as, as we have covered an extent in the past. But, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know. Jason, it looks like he has something you wanted to say. Yeah, and the the funny thing to keep in mind is for 2021, when the rotation ranks 17th, which is, you know, middle of the pack, I guess, slightly below league average, uh, Nathan Avaldi finished fourth in the Cy Young voting that year. So a lot of those numbers were inflated just because of him, because he had the best year of his career. Um, even 2022, as, as bad as their numbers were, a lot of those were inflated by Michael Waka, who had the best year of his career. So when you look at it as a whole, you take out a couple of guys here and there, then it's it really drops. And all of a sudden, you're looking like the Pittsburgh Pirates of the American League. I mean, it's just – those are the kind of moves that they are. Bringing in guys like Garrett Richards, Martin Perez, um, even kind of Corey Kluber to some extent, that's like what small market teams do. And – when you were talking about the Mookie situation, right, and the fact that he said, well, I would have taken the 12-year offer, you know, if he had gotten it from Boston. I'm just not sure the Red Sox, whether it's Bloom or ownership or both, I don't think they want to hand out deals like that anymore. I think they're both terrified of it. I think ownership is definitely terrified of it because a lot of their long-term deals that have gone beyond the five years have not worked out. Carl Crawford... Hanley Ramirez, um, you know, David Price, even though he helped you win a World Series, was a huge pain in the ass that they eventually had to send off to a different team. Um, Their five-year deals worked out. You know, guys like J.D. Martinez, that was a great, you know, deal for the Red Sox. It really worked out. 
but the market has changed. The market is now like for a superstar player, 10 years is the base. That's where it starts. And you've got to at least offer 10 years and then probably go beyond that to get superstar players. And I think Henry, Werner, and Bloom are all terrified of doing that. So I think this is kind of what you're stuck with until either a new GM comes in that's more sort of like a Dombrowski type who says, hey, if you give me the money, I don't care what the contract says, I'll get the player. Don't worry about the years or the money. Just give me the opportunity to do it and I'll go get them. Or if you just need ownership to sell. And, you know, that's there's been rumors flying around about that, that maybe Henry just doesn't really care anymore and he's looking to sell. I don't know if that's true, but if they do, I hope that it's at least uh, aggressive owners that recognize how big of a, a market Boston is and how much revenue this team actually makes. And they go, yeah, no, we'll we'll do what San Diego's doing. We'll do what all these other teams are doing. We'll hand out the 10-year contracts because that's the way the market is now. If you're not willing to do that, then, yeah, you will lose out on guys like Xander Bogarts and Boogie Betts and all these other superstar players. So, unfortunately, it's just kind of what we're stuck with right now. And the problem with that is that can work if it's done right. I don't think Kyan Bloom's been doing it right. So it really is the, the fault lies with both right now. My frustration is more with bloom because he's supposed to be the guy who can find those deals. His whole, the whole mystique around him, his whole prowess is supposed to be, he can find players for cheaper contracts, younger players for cheaper contracts and still contend. Not, not only are the Red Sox not contending, they're falling to the bottom of the league. So it's not like you're missing a wild card spot by two or three games. No, you're finishing in last place and superstar players are leaving and other players are saying, I don't want to play there. That's a huge problem. So right now I put it more on bloom, but there is, there is blame to go to both sides. The only reason I'm in favor of giving Devers 10 and now possibly 12 years is because he's 26. He's 26 and he has the clutch gene. When you're talking about Adrian Gonzalez, Carl Crawford, Pablo Sandoval, none of those guys had ever done it in Boston. They had never done it, and and it was a bigger gamble. It's still kind of on John Henry that the Red Sox didn't approach Xander a year or two ago to get that seven- or eight-year deal that they probably could have gotten. That's still a fault on ownership. And I, I wouldn't have been thrilled with that. If it was seven or eight years, would I be given the tirade that I gave earlier with Kluber? No, but I, I just don't think it would have aged well. But at the same time, we know he can play in Boston. So, and they're still not, they're not, they're not committing to their own. And Bloom has, and ownership too, have destroyed the culture here in Boston. We had no chance. We wanted Jose Abreu, but why would he come here? Why would he come here? We had no chance at Abreu. The Giants outfielder there, uh, Mitch Hanniger, same thing. Same thing. Bloom was connected to him. I would have loved that signing, but we're not getting him. Those are the types of things I want. If Costas is a beast this year and you want to extend him this summer, you know, sign him through his age 30, 32 season or whatever, go ahead. That That's what you have to do. That's the new model. If you got to extend Bayo this summer or, or next winter, okay, all right, do it. Do it. You know, I'm not asking the Red Sox to, to, to go after these top-of-the-market guys. You know, you can get those. You could have signed Schwarber the winter before last, and now he's your DH. I would have liked that better than Justin Turner. And I know Turner gives you flexibility on the corners. Oh, well, I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit for a guy who's super clutch like Kyle Schwarber and a great clubhouse guy. That contract took him is going to take him through his age 34 season. Totally good with that. Totally good with that. But we're not doing it, and we destroyed the culture, and... Nobody wants to come here. A couple of things real quick. I, I forgot to mention this with the uh, the Kluber signing. 
2021, he wasn't bad. A three-something ERA, I think it was in the high threes. That was the year he pitched for the Yankees. Only 16 starts, though. I think he was hurt to start the year. He was still recovering from the, the previous injury or whatever. And then last year, after the league had already seen him the year before, I, I and I firmly believe you got to have great stuff to survive, to have longevity here in the American League East. Second year wasn't so good for Kluber. Camden Yards, three starts, ERA of 5.14 to that young Orioles team. That's only going to get better. They're going to, they might make the playoffs this year. Wouldn't be surprised, especially if they sign Michael Walker. Go to Toronto. Only one start in Toronto. He's got an ERA of 15. He gave up, it was either five runs in three innings or seven runs in three innings. He got, he got lit up, sucked in Toronto. Yankee Stadium had a 5.68 ERA in three starts. This is a guy who gets rocked by the AL East because they've seen him. I don't know what year three is going to do. Here's another thing I didn't mention about Corey Kluber. He threw 36 fastballs in the entire season last year. That's in the entire season in 31 starts. He, he averaged almost one fastball per start. He doesn't have one. You you can live with that as a reliever out of the pen, just facing three or four batters per appearance. You can't live on that as a starting pitcher. You're not going to fool these guys. Eventually, they're going to start sitting on you, and they're going to be hitting golf balls off you, basically. I'm not into that. My last point here, I feel foolish for saying this, but I wasn't crazy about Chris Bassett. But I thought he was going to be one of the better pitchers to sign somewhere. He's 33 years old, not an overpowering guy. His fastball sits around 93 or so. But, you know, he's kind of a finesse guy and, and you know, does work in that, that four-seamer. But that would have been a great signing for the Red Sox this year. He probably would have been your ace. He's a number two or three on a good rotation. Um, it was a three-year deal, twenty-one million per. So for an, an extra eleven million that you paid Kluber, you could have got Bassett. You you could have got Bassett for an extra eleven million. That's only four million over what the Rangers are paying Nathan Avaldi. Uh, so I think Texas is dumb for going Avaldi over Bassett. And most pitchers would love to sign with a Texas team because there's no income tax. So their $25 million contract is going to be worth more in Texas than it will be anywhere else. Because, well, Florida doesn't have an income tax, but neither of those teams spend that kind of money. Um, So, uh, you know, that would have been great. If we signed the guy I go to a lot for the last offseason, Kevin Gosman, he was my number one guy. There there were other, I I forget who was on the market, but there, there were three or four good starting pitchers, you know, comparable to him you signed Gosman last year you signed Bassett this year suddenly your rotation's looking pretty good mix in Bayo there Whitlock seems a lot less risky if he's pitching behind those guys and I guess take what you can get out of a, a Paxton type guy and that that's when that's when signing Kluber isn't bad when when he's behind those guys but he's behind two guys we're we're not even confident that are going to be out of making it out of spring training without getting injured. That's Paxton and Sale. It's I would say there's a 30 to 40% chance that one of those two guys or both aren't on the opening day roster because they're hurt. And I think 30 or 40% are, are huge odds, really, in the grand scheme of things. So a key... Starting pitcher last season would have been good. I, I use Gosman as an example, uh, you know, and I'm using Bassett for this year. And now we're going to be pitching against Bassett because guess what? The Blue Jays thought it was a, a good idea to sign him. And he's going in behind Gosman, the other guy I wanted. <laughs> so they're both on the same rotation, which is awesome. Um, they've got Manoa, who might win the Cy Young this year. Um I know I'm missing another one. Barrios had a bad year, so maybe he'll turn it around. But I just, 
this rotation is just and and Jason, I'll say this. You know, you're concerned about the bullpen. I'm not super concerned. I see what you there there is certainly room for it to go up in flames, but I'm not as worried about it. Jansen led all of Major League Baseball last year in saves. Probably won't do that this year, but I think he'll be very good. Uh, Martin, a little bit more of a wild card, but I'm, I'm a little bit optimistic there. Hauk could still be in there, and I, I think I, I think he's he could be a stud reliever if they would just commit to that. Uh, and then John Schreiber, give me 80% of what he gave us last year. Still a very serviceable guy. And uh, I think I'm forgetting one more in there. I, I could be mistaken. but So I, I think the bullpen's probably going to be okay. But if we've given up five or six runs before the end of the fourth inning, what good is a good bullpen? Yeah, and don't forget the American League. It's not just Toronto that added pitching. I mean, you know, we can laugh at Texas a little bit for the money they threw around, but Dick Rahm and Evaldi make that team better. If Martin Perez somehow pulls another year like that out of his ass, then, you know, Texas will be better. Houston is a pitching factory. They'll always have good pitching. Cleveland is a pitching factory. They're always going to have good pitching. Um, you know, the, the rest of the American League got stronger in, you know, in the starting rotation. I'm not sure the Red Sox did. And you were already a last place team to begin with. And don't forget Baltimore. Baltimore hasn't really spent the money on pitching yet. But like you said, they could be in on Waka. They're going to call up guys like Grayson Rodriguez and some of their pitching prospects who are absolutely nasty. So, again, you could find yourself at the bottom of the AL East. Um, it's just that's a huge concern. And one point I wanted to make, you, you talked about the culture here being ruined you know, by, by the front office and by Bloom. Don't leave out the manager because the players absolutely quit after what Kevin Ploiecki was DFA'd and they were all moping around and JD Martinez, I think quit. And, you know, a lot of players were just moping and not putting in the full effort. That's on Cora. Look, it's frustrating. And yeah, we all knew that they were probably not going to make the playoffs, but you know, Alex Cora is supposed to be this big difference maker in there. And he's supposed to be the guy that sets the culture and he's had players quit on him both in the COVID year and last year. So the culture problem is is definitely there, and I don't leave out the manager. I'm not saying he's top of the list. I still put Bloom and ownership at, at the very top of the list, but don't leave out Cora because if this team quits by the trade deadline again, then I think you have to start looking at Cora and going, um, do you have command of the room? Or is this another John Farrell situation where the first few years are great, but now the players have tuned you out? Because we can't have that. So... I just pay attention to that. You know, that's interesting because one of the things to watch if if we go into the toilet right away and things aren't looking good by the end of April, Bloom's on the hot seat. So does he fire Alex Cora? Can he fire Alex Cora? That's the one thing I'm not confident with with ownership because they love Alex Cora. But if Bloom is desperate, maybe that's the move that has to happen. And then you have, is it Ramon Vasquez? Is he the bench coach? I wasn't confident on the first name. So that's that's Bloom's guy, I, I think. That's who he has to roll with. I, I don't recall a manager from outside of an organization coming in halfway through. I'm sure it's happened, but I don't think there's a recent example of that. So, so Vasquez becomes the guy in... Well, who knows? Maybe Veritech becomes the guy, too. I could see that possibly happening. But it's going to be someone that's currently on the coaching staff. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens. And then typically for GMs getting fired, the first week of August is the prime time for that. That's when Ben Sherrington got fired. I think Dombrowski lasted a little bit longer. He was probably more of the first week of September, but it's always after the trade deadline when it happens. So we'll see. I don't know if Andrew is going to do another show again. I, that's val. That's a, <laughs> I, that's a legitimate question in my mind, but I did get him to admit on the last show. He's the resident bloom guy. Um, he, even he says, that Bloom's done if this team isn't competitive. 
uh, on the last show that we did uh, with him. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. But even even some of the Bluminati are softening here and, you know, they're sobering up to what might be uh, an ugly exit, you know, for for Bloom. We we got the dumb guy. We, we I'm convinced we got the dumb guy in the Tampa office. That's what happened. That's what happened. We they probably dangled him out here. Oh, take this guy. Don't take one of our smart guys. And you know, and we got Bloom. The Mets passed on him and went with someone else a couple years ago. And whoever that was got fired. That might have been the Zach. Who was the one? The pervy the Brody Van Swerzen or whatever. Oh, maybe that was him. Yeah, the agent. Oh, Van Wagenen, yeah. Van Wagenen, Brody Van Wagenen. Coolest name in the history of GMs, I think. But um, yeah, and then, so then he gets fired, and then the next guy comes in. It wasn't Zach Scott, uh, although they went, they blew through three of them. So Zach Scott did get fired, but he was the DUI guy. But there was a creepy guy who had Red Sox connections. He was the GM, and he was the one who traded for Lindor. That was like his only move, and he was only the GM for like 30 days, and then he was sending inappropriate pictures to the um, reporter, the female reporter, uh, who I think was foreign. I don't think I don't think she was... Uh, she might have been from Japan or something like that, but he was sending inappropriate pictures, so he gets fired. So Van Wagenen out after, what, a season maybe, something like that, and then... Whoever the pervy guy was, and then Zach Scott comes in, gets a DUI. They had a rough, they had a rough uh, situation there, and uh, yeah, Cohen fired him though, and didn't really just kind of moved on. <laughs> so, yeah, but we, I think we got the dumb guy in Tampa. That's we might have, that's yeah, and it, despite all the problems that Mets have with GMs, uh, they have an active owner, and so. They still have a better offseason than we did. So, credit to them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's very entirely possible that we got the dump guy. But, I mean, we finished last place handing out the big contract. So, you know, there's – as as there are many ways to skin a cat to win a championship, there's many ways to skin a cat and finish in last place. And I think we have unfortunately found ourselves on, on both ends of that spectrum. Um not having to ship off our good players to offload monster contracts, I think, is a place I'd rather be than handing a guy, you know, a Christmas present in in November saying, hey, you know, come sign with us for, for 12 years. That could just be my own personal prerogative, having been burned by a couple of long-term contracts in the past. But at this point in time, you know, if, if we continue to roll out a non-competitive team, something's got to change. Something's got to give. We've got to change our tune. Here's a fun one. Um this was probably two weekends ago, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Red Sox president Sam Kennedy told Ken Rosenthal in a phone interview that the Red Sox are going to win the 2023 World Series. He said that. That is, um, that's the bold, show? <laughs> to say the least. It was in an article. Um, if you have the athletic, just go to like the last um, article that Rosenthal wrote about the Red Sox. It was pretty scathing. It was pretty scathing, and that's the thing. Bloom just can't escape it. the The national beat writers are hammering this guy, and even the local guys do it here and there. They're playing nice, nice this off season because they want him on their podcast. They want quotes in in his articles, but uh, but he's he's not safe. He's not safe. And you're going to start seeing as the ship sinks, other people are going to start talking. The the ones, everybody praises Bloom for having a very tight-lipped front office that doesn't leak. You're going to start seeing leaks as the ship goes down. Well, and, and one thing to pay attention to is some of the most critical guys in town have been Globe writers. The Globe that's owned by John Henry. Pete Abraham's been critical. Alex Spear has taken shots at him. Shaughnessy, uh, Shaughnessy dipped into the eggnog this holiday season because he's been all over Twitter bashing him the last couple of days. So uh, if the Globe writers are going after the GM, that's generally not a good sign here in Boston for his job security. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Credit to me for only coughing twice so far. Uh, hang on a second. Shaughnessy. Uh... Yeah, he, he sent out tweets saying after the Kluber signing, he said, oh, the perfect roster for Bloom, 25 guys and 25 one-year contracts or something <laughs> like that. That's what he said. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, he quote tweeted um, an Alex Spear. Oh, tweet. Yeah, and actually... Yeah, so he had a couple of tweets. But um, another thing he says, he goes, only one thing matters with today's Red Sox. Yeah, getting every player on a one-year contract, sweet selling point for a once great franchise, a new 25 guys every year, what value? And then the tweet under that, the perfect team, 25 players, 25 one-year contracts. I'd love to have Shaughnessy on the podcast, but I'm pretty sure uh, he needs to be paid to come on. So <laughs> that would be the one guy that I would be tailor-made to interview, I feel like. I, I We've had Rob Bradford on previously, Christopher Smith. Um, Christopher Cotillo did um, a YouTube uh, segment um, a year or two ago, but... But I always feel like I got to play it safe with these guys because they're not, you know, they don't want to say anything stupid that's going to get their, you know, credentials revoked or anything like that. Shaughnessy, it's all systems go. <laughs> he He's not even in the clubhouse, he, so he, he doesn't care. He can say whatever he wants. But all right. Well, we will wrap on that. Um, if anything else develops, I'm still fantasizing over a sale trade. Not uh, that Bloom would do anything crazy with that money, I don't think. But but as things develop, uh, we will come on. The Carlos Correa saga continues. We got into quite a bit of that in the last show. Uh, so maybe that'll play out this week. Um, so who knows? But we'll try to be back by the end of the weekend uh, at the latest. So have a good week. Have a safe New Year's. And... Uh, We'll be back soon. Take care.